0: the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV.
1: This. This.
2: This is is AV 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 Nation.
0: This is AV Nation.
1: This is AV Week. Episode 121, recorded Friday, December 13th, 2013. Padded floors and walls. Ready. AV, AV Week. Scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. AV. AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Hello, welcome. This is actually our last show before Christmas, so I'm kind of excited. Uh, and I actually invited these very folks for the last one before Christmas. First and foremost, the lovely A.V. Dawn. She is known as Dawn Mead uh, to some people, but A.V. Dawn for most. Uh, she is from NetAV and the host of A.V. Social on the fine network known as A.V. Uh, Nation. How are you, ma'am?
0: Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Uh, also with us, uh, the man that I lost a bet to. Uh, his, his name is Craig McCormick. Uh, he's from Commercial Integrator. Uh, are you still the traveling, roving editor? Editor at large. Editor at large, sir. Very good. Uh, and, I, and I lost a bet to him because his <laughs> lovely Boston Red Sox beat my lowly St. Louis Cardinals, and I had to change my Twitter uh, icon to, what's his name again? Wally. Wally. The, Wally the, the Green Monster. Wally the Green Monster, the, the, the uh, mascot for the Red Sox, so. That's right. Uh, and last but not least, this guy is a new one, so you two please be nice to him. His name is Dave Pedigo. He is the senior director of learning and emerging technologies for Cedia. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, all right, guys. Here's what we've got for the for this week. Uh, like I mentioned it's it's the last one before uh, before Christmas. Next week we'll do a kind of a best of, and then at the end of the year we'll, we'll gather some folks around and we'll do a uh, kind of an end of the year. Preview, review, stuff like that. But we're going to talk about talk about a couple things. Uh, first of all, one of our, our buddies, uh, Chris Nettle wrote a piece about ways to improve Infocom. Uh, and he said, you know, nothing, nothing's necessarily wrong with it, but hey, here's here's some ideas. And so as ISE is is honestly quickly coming upon us, and so is CES here in the next few weeks, we'll talk about, you know, how to improve these, these trade shows that we all uh, love to go to. Uh, and actually, Dave is headed out to ISE, so we'll, we'll, we'll pick his brain about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about ways to bring the youngins up under us uh, and how to mentor them uh, to, uh, you know, to, you know, get them to, to not to replace us. But, you know, eventually we're going to retire, at least hopefully. That's, that's that's my plan, at least, folks. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's, you know, my plan is to, is to hopefully eventually re- retire. So uh, but to get them, you know, up and running and, and um, you know. Up up to speed, as it were. Uh, But first, here's something that kind of caught my eye, and and I I hate to to talk about it, but I'm going to. (laughs) Apple posts and then removes the Sharp 4K display. Hello! (laughs) This could possibly be the Apple TV. Um, And I I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but honestly and and really, uh, let's talk about this for a second, because here's the thing. Steve Jobs passed away, good Lord, two years ago. And one of the things that all the tech people that, that I read and listen to, and you probably do too, uh, said there's something in here. He's, he's, he has given us a, a hint to the Apple display, the actual Apple TV TV, not the little hockey puck, but the actual, you know, here we're going to do this thing TV. Uh, in, that biogra- in the biography, uh, if you haven't read it, he said something to the effect of, uh, when it comes to um, interfacing with an actual display, we have finally figured it out, quote unquote. And and so all of the Apple fanboys and the technology people said, holy cow, here it comes. We're going to get a TV. And that was in 2011. <laughs> and it's 2013. <laughs> We're still waiting for this thing. Um, but here we go. 4K, that would be a great thing. Um, uh, maybe, uh, but the fact that they they post it on their website and then take it down, people are pointing to this like, aha, <laughs> this is the last one, this is the latest thing. Uh, so, Don, let let me ask you this: uh, How credible is that? First of all, and is this the way that we want Apple to go, or should go? Maybe.
0: Well, I mean, speaking, you know, with their with their great visionary passed on now for two years Mm -hmm. as you said you know i don't know who all their idea people are over at apple or or how how their brains are running these days since steve's gone um i I figure they could do worse than going with an established brand like sharp that you know already has the 4k technology and the actual you know the 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 av portion of it already good and you know i i know my own company sells a heck of a lot of sharps uh it's one of our go-to monitors you know, and they make a great product, so they, they could do far worse than partnering with someone established like that. Um, as to whether it's going to actually happen, the Apple TV, well, we've been waiting for more than two years. I mean, I, th- I think if you look back at some of the earlier writings of Steve Jobs back in the day, um, there, there there was there was discussion of a TV-type appliance, you know, in the 80s, I think. So uh, whether it comes to fruition, we'll see. Um but I think by partnering with someone that's already there and already has the technology and the goods so to speak um, they'll be far more successful than trying to reinvent the wheel
1: yeah, that makes sense uh, Craig from your from your standpoint you you cover uh, primarily integrators which is uh, integrators can be either you know resi or, or pro but we typically think of of the commercial integrator part as as, as pro this is not necessarily a, a bad thing or, or you know for for the commercial guy because Let's be honest, a lot of uh, a lot of resi stuff (laughs) ends up in the the commercial space. A lot of it stuff ends up in the uh, in the boardrooms and and in the classrooms. So is this maybe where we we think Apple's going Uh, is is maybe partnering with somebody like like Don says has already established.
2: It makes a lot of sense, and and like you said, you know, a lot of residential stuff does end up in in boardrooms because a CEO will say, oh, you know, they, they outfitted my my home with this, so I'm sure they can do it in, in my office too. The only problem with that is is a lot of times the the stuff that's that's built for a residential environment isn't built for a commercial environment and doesn't work, and then somebody wonders why. So, so that's uh, that that's kind of the only the only challenge in in making it go from the residential side to the commercial side.
1: Are you saying that we shouldn't be installing, you know, $300 Black Friday TVs? Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, it depends how good the service plan is. With oh, very
1: interview. nice. I'm
0: saying it. I'm saying
1: it. <laughs> very nice. Very well done. Uh, all right, Dave, uh, you are. Uh, Cedia is 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 primarily a residential uh, organization. You guys uh, service um, the uh, community of, of, you know, um, home automation. Not home automation, but, but home uh Installers. Uh, a couple years yeah. ago, uh, I had on uh, a number of of folks uh, from Rich Fergosa and, and Matt Scott and, and uh, Phil uh, Cordell, and they introduced me to the Eski, the the uh, um, uh, electronic service. I forgot what the what the C part stood for. E S C electronic. E S C. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. And so this is not something. This this is where you guys' wheelhouse is. This is where you guys live, which is which is the home. Uh, is this, does this make sense for Apple to, to start, you know, to, instead of reinventing the wheel, but, but to partner with somebody who's already there?
3: Yeah, I, I would say that, well, I guess here first I would say, you know, you asked me a year ago, is Apple coming out with a TV? I'd almost have bet my house on it, but, uh, I've been proven wrong a lot, uh, in regards to that, um, it it makes sense for Apple to partner with a manufacturer. I think instead of man, instead of building a plant and manufacturing their own televisions. What I took out of the Jobs, um, interviewer uh, biography oh, okay. was not the actual display itself, but the interface between how mm. we how we actually operate at television. So it's kind of cumbersome still. We still have to search through channels, those kind of things. So. In my opinion, a year ago I would have said, I think they're coming out with hardware just because I'd seen a lot of investors and analysts and saying they're all coming out with the TV. But the problem is is no one makes money in, in televisions. Um, it's very hard for the manufacturers to make a profit, and Apple is really pretty strict on wanting to make a healthy profit margin on any of their products. So going out and um, adjusting... Uh, or partnering with an OEM in order to have someone else manufacture um, uh, to manufacture a television and put their kind of software embedded in it is, is what kind of makes sense for me. And, and uh, if you look at their push towards high res, the fact that a, uh, an iPad 3 at a higher resolution than a 1080p screen shows me that they are serious in having high resolution
1: displays now that's a good point that's a good point but let me ask you this if anybody can make money manufacturing displays don't you think it could be apple because you're right they demand a high margin whether it's the everything from from the uh ipod all the way up through their computers uh they are a premium product and, and people do pay that that premium price for them
3: they are i you know and i will uh i'm not probably supposed to say this, but I'll say it anyways, I'm a a fanboy through and through and my entire house is, so um, but I don't know if I would pay more for a display. It's more about the experience. There's a lot of really really good displays out there, Um, and some manufacturers over the last couple of years, you've started to see manufacturers who are making the best televisions. So, it was Fujitsu, then it was Pioneer, and now Panasonic, all of those who made great televisions getting out of the market? So yeah. I'm, I'm still up in the air that even Apple could could really make a good profit, healthy profit margin on televisions. But if anyone
1: could, they could. Yeah, they could. All right, I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious to see when Samsung's going to get out because that'll be, I'm going to say the death knell, but that'll be like you know the last rat leaving the ship because they're the last ones, I guess. I mean, you still have LG, and you still have some others, and, and um, some of the, the players who have gotten out of their branded stuff are going back in through OEM. But you know, it's it, it's getting a, it's getting to be a very small uh, a very small uh, group of, of folks who are doing that.
3: Well, and these, I'll, I'll just jump in for a second yes. and just say that these are um, these are almost country wars. So you see that um, you had the Japanese making televisions and the Koreans. And now the Chinese are coming in and they're kind of underpinning a little bit in regards to uh, uh, profit margins as well. So I think it actually almost transcends corporations and is at the international scale. And, and these countries kind of going back and forth against each other to see who can make the, the best display for the lowest dollar.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense because both both South Korea and China are, are, are offsetting a lot of the costs. So Yes, no doubt. All right, guys. Uh, Crestron has flip tops. Yay. Okay. Crestron has flip tops. Yay. Okay. That's it. Mm. Uh, anybody? I'm not gonna say excited about this. And and well, Dave already used the fanboy terms, so I'll use it too. I, I I that's what we have on on our campus is Crestron. I, I got this in the in the in my email, and I'm like, oh. K, you've had something like this it was a quick media uh, 4 inch and Extron has something like this and AMX has something like this so what's the big deal uh, Is some, can somebody help me with this does is, is anybody else feel like that what's the big deal anybody Don, Don I'll ask you, because you you'll say you'll say whatever you're muted ma'am yeah she's muted
0: sorry that's all right dad. My dog, you know. Um, I think it's just a case of keeping up with the Joneses. As you mentioned, you know, Extron has had something like this for a while. FSR and some of the low-cost, easy, you know, like basic control-ish systems. They all have this type of interface, you know. And traditionally, as an integrator in the business for I won't tell you how many years, um, you know, Crestron has has the cachet of like the high-end control system. It was like kind of Crestron, mm-hmm. then AMX sort of right under them. And then you had your Extrons and then you had your FSRs and your whatever. So just generally cost wise and, and quality wise at the time. And as that's evolved, you know, people have gotten more and more into some of these low end ones and Crestron, they want to keep the business and they want to offer something. I don't know the price on this particular unit, but they want to offer something a little more like a Swiss Army knife, a little more multi-user. Um, you know, it's not just a touch panel sitting on a table yeah. or hanging on the wall. It's also your interfaces and your your power and and all of that jazz. And it you know, it's 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 nice and hidden away. And it, it, they're just kind of keeping up with everyone else, but bringing the Crestron badge to it. I think.
1: Well, and uh, Craig Don makes a good point. You know, bringing the Crestron badge, but there's also the FSRs and, and everybody else. And and there is, you know, you you can argue one way the one way or the other, you know, whether or not Xtrons is better than Crestrons, which is better than AMXs, which is better than FSRs, whoever. Uh, but when it comes to these hideaway, do-it-all things, they were lacking. Uh, some of them were, were still in the analog realm, even the Crestron one, which is probably maybe where this is going. Uh, the fact that this has got some of the digital connectivity, uh, is, is that important or is it just you know, this is just another iteration of what they've already had.
2: Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. It, it's definitely, you know, it it's it's some some iteration of what they that they did already have, but but certainly, like you said, the the digital element takes it a, a little bit further, and and you know, who, who knows, maybe maybe uh, extra or. or AMX will will come out with with one that's you know one step further and and it is a lot of you know keeping up with the Joneses Joneses and it's it's kind of up to the uh, the integrator to decide which one they like the
1: best. Well, yeah, I guess that that is. Uh, Dave, do you guys see much of this when it comes to, to residential, or is this a, a primarily a a a corporate or a, a, a you know a, a boardroom uh, installation, or even uh, it, education? It,
3: yeah, it, it's it's pretty much outside what. The majority of our members do, but I I will say that you are seeing a crossover from some of the residential guys who in gals who are starting to pick up a little bit of the um, commercial work. But in general, the commercial work is typically at very light commercial, like um, bars, restaurants, etc. The education field, I think, is a little bit outside of what our guys do. Okay
1: all right uh moving on we're going to talk about warranties and this covers all of us here uh even me you know I'm, i work in education uh this comes to us from our fine folks at ce pro uh steve fritz is that right steve fritz that that first first is is first is yeah that, there you go uh talking about uh what exactly it costs to, to warranty a product and what the long term are i mean here's the thing guys uh, whether you are looking at uh, you know doing a uh, the you know servicing in actual manufacturer's warranty, or you offer offer a service contract, and um, you know something beyond what the the, the manufacturer offers, which some it is getting up there honestly. I mean the Crestron and, and Extron's um, are uh, are getting up there in the, in the number of years that they're they're covering. So Craig, when it comes to um, when it comes to integrators, what exactly, what should integrators look for when they are trying to develop their their service and warranty plans?
2: Well, I think I think Steve laid it out pretty 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 well here, that uh, you know he, he said he was talking about recurring revenue and and that that some sometimes when when uh, when integrators send out their bills, they because they they wrap their service warranties in, into you know their their plans with with their clients that. Clients essentially think that the the warranties are, are free, and it, it's it's not it's certainly not the case. So that they have to make sure that the, the client knows that while they're not technically being billed for it specifically, they they are they are paying for the the service plan to, to some degree.
1: Don, is it something where should we maybe make a line item, uh, or you know make make our our the, the clients aware that hey, you know this is you know, th- this is not just you know maybe rolled into it or do you think maybe that that they would take it out because it would be a line item and then they would suffer the repercussions and then the the integrator looks like the bad guy uh, afterwards
0: well i mean you know i don't know how every other integration firm does it my company has always tracked exact expenses of how much it costs to go out and do warranty calls mm. we also include on our proposals the warranty you know as as required by whatever spec or bid we're working yeah. on. But then we also usually include several additional years so they can see if you extend that warranty beyond the initial period, how much it would be. Um, and, and that's a value definitely because they can see, you know we're including a year or two years per the spec, but it's actually worth this many dollars. The one thing that I got out of this article that we don't do, and I I just may start bugging my boss to implement it because it's it's a great idea, is when you go on these warranty service calls to actually create an invoice and then zero it out with the the warranty discount, so Mm -hmm. they get an invoice for zero, but they're seeing, hey, if you didn't have this warranty, it would cost. $800 $800 or $1,000 or whatever the, the, the co- actual cost may be. Um, that way it kind of puts it in their mind. Like he says, you don't want to train your customers. You're working for free. Yeah. You want to show them this has value. This has a cost associated. You purchase the warranty, so we've ca- covered it for you. But bear in mind, this is why you purchased the warranty, and I, th- I think that's a great idea. That customers tend to forget that aspect of it.
1: Well, and it's a it's a reminder for them that hey, you you, you made a good decision. Congratulations, uh, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, it, it, when in the, when the next job comes up, you can remind them, hey, you know, you've you've had this many service calls, uh, and you've saved this much money based on right. on what that was. Uh, Dave, when it comes to your members, is this something that you know? How how do they lay out? Like Don said, you know, is it is it um, reminding folks, hey, you, you've you've paid for this, or, and if they haven't, you know, how do you, uh, I guess, cover your your costs then?
3: I I could not agree with Don and Steve I guess more than what they say here, which is I think a lot of people they include the warranty, they included the service hours, but they're not really keeping track of it. And for me, the thing that really poked out more than anything else was the concept of opportunity cost, which is that. Um, when you're going out and servicing your work um, you, you're what your opportunity to do other work so you're not actually you're not only is it costing money to go out to the job site to fix the work but you're also losing potential money being out on another job site and charging for those hours right. so um, I I think this is this is a topic that is really difficult for the residential market in general warranties um, uh, pro bono, uh, yeah, it's not pro bono work, but it almost seems like it. Um, going back and doing repairs, particularly during Super Bowl hours or those kind of things. And so going back and being able, to, I think it's a powerful marketing tool to not only to be able to send them an invoice and say, okay, well, it would have cost you $150 uh, to, to do this repair or whatever. At the end of the year, send them an invoice. Uh, a statement that has all of the uh, warranty work that's been done and say this is, this is all the money that you save by having a warranty so that the, you can then upsell the warranty moving forward. The concept of recurring revenue for the, um, for the residential guys, we, we've done some studies and we're seeing a slow but uh, measurable warm up to recurring revenue and um, I'm all over it. I think that if you want to have a business that you can sell, you need to have money that is always going to be in the pipeline. And yeah. starting with your warranty work is a great place to jump in.
1: Now, let's, talk, let's talk about residential for a second because it's, it's something that, yeah, it was in CE Pro, but, but I actually when I, when I hear of warranty, and service contracts, I think more pro, right? Because again, that, that's the, the world I live in is, is education and and dealing with with you know boardrooms and stuff like that. But is that is is warranty and, and service contracts? Is that where where integrators where, or residential guys should go, or is it more the the remote management, or, or is it you know both, or is it kind of both sides, you know, two sides of the same coin?
3: Uh, well, it, I'd love to say it's two sides of the same coin, but it's not. Um, I, I so I um, had know a couple guy uh, folks who own recurring revenue company or um, remote uh, management and diagnostics companies whose model is RMR, and it makes for me personally it makes all the sense in the world to be able to hook as many things up as you can to the network, to be able to a charge a, a recurring monthly revenue, but b being able to do the majority of your work without having to do a truck roll. So anytime yes. you're rolling out a truck roll you're looking at you know several hours of labor uh, all sorts of costs. So in the residential world the problem is, is we our, most of our problems revolve around the wetware which is that we've got teenage kids who are looking at websites that they shouldn't be looking at, we've got You know, grandma comes over and hits a button and she just doesn't know what she's done. So (laughs) it's, the the variables are, it's hard. It it really is hard. Um, A lot of the problems really are customer created, but, you know, everybody wants all that, you know, picture-in-picture. We have these remotes with picture-in-picture. Who's actually ever watched picture-in-picture? But, you know,
1: you, you it
3: doesn't happen very often, but, um (laughs) bottom line is is that repair work and going back and fixing things it is required of our members because we're customer service oriented we're referral based those kind of things and a lot of times it really is the customer who um, who is creating the problem and as we move more to the network base it's becoming even more uh, what we would call wetware um, so to kind of make a long answer for a short question Uh, yes, there's a lot of uh, warranty work, repair work that goes into the residential market. A lot of it, I think, as we move towards IP-enabled devices, it makes a lot of sense to to actually use the remote monitoring diagnostics and be able to fix the problems without a truck roll. It's just, you know, it's going to take time to be able to convince the consumer or the client that they should be paying a... Monthly fee above and beyond what they've paid for the product that that um, is supposed to work all the time. It, it it's a it's a tough sell sometimes.
1: Yeah, it is. Don, just out of curiosity, is it is it when the uh, the Ravens and the Steelers are on at the same time? Is that when we're watching? <laughs> How Mitch did and you Fisher? know that that's that
0: just... pretty much <laughs> the only the only time we use picture in picture is when both teams are playing at the same time, and they're both broadcast in our market, which is not often. No. And they're up against each other, so we have to you know fight over who gets to watch live the big picture and who watches the little one but uh
1: yeah yeah uh here <laughs> uh harry mead don, don's uh lovely husband uh is is a big ravens fan and of course don is a steelers fan so
3: it could be worse i am a redskins fan
1: oh wow
0: <laughs> harry's family are all redskins fans so we feel your pain
3: it is painful
1: <laughs> okay go ahead craig who do you root for uh, that would be the
2: Patriots. Yeah, oh, yeah. I liked you so much. I know. Happened. See, Tim set me up on that one. I yeah.
1: did. Well, and I'm a Bears fan, and, and this year has been interesting. Um, I, I actually got to take my son to his first Bears game, and it was a butt whooping beyond belief, uh, that the St. Louis Rams put on them the, the week, and, and, daddy, and my little five-year-old's like, Daddy, they lost. I'm like, yeah. They lost, <laughs> and, uh, and
0: you guys are from St. Louis, so that adds pain what, to the you yeah, know
1: yeah, for it, sh- but.
0: Sh- shouldn't we be cheering for the other team, Daddy? <laughs>
1: no, no, they Give them five years; they'll be in L.A. or someplace. So <laughs> that's just that's just my. That, what, this is not a sports show. All right, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you are listening and watching A.V. Week. That lovely lady right there is A.V. Dawn uh, Dawn Mead. Uh, Dave Pedigo is here from Cedia, and Craig McCormick. Patriots fan, uh, is here from (laughs) Commercial Integrator. Speaking of Commercial Integrator, they had their Commercial Integrator of the Year uh, uh, issue here recently. And there they are right there. CI Integrator of the Year, CCS Presentation Systems. Uh, This was a good article, bud. And not that you don't write good articles before. But the question is, first of all, tell me about CCS um, and, and what makes them unique. Uh, as opposed to other integrators, uh,
2: um, what what makes them unique is, is uh, the the way their their company is set up is is they have um, essentially their their headquarters in in Arizona, and um, they have uh, several uh, seven other lo- locations uh, areas that they they kind of cover and um, they 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 are not franchises they're they're licen- licensees um, all of them started essentially with with a loan from the the founder and the the president, uh, John Godbow, and uh, they they uh, they earn they earn re, uh, rev- revenue their their own revenue. They you know they they uh, they they basically are sort of sort of independent once once uh, once they they um, get get their loan and they they they're pretty pretty much you know they they all feed feed into the parent company, but but they're uh, they're they're essentially their their own entity and you know they 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 uh, you know can earn money their own way and you know it's it's just it's it's a really kind of a unique setup and, and one that that I'd never I'd never seen before in, in the industry and I, I don't think exists and um, I I looked for for other other examples of it and and haven't been able to find one yet.
1: Well, no, I mean you've got uh, the uh, well the the 500 pound gorilla that we we can talk about, which is AVISPL, which goes around. Yep. And they're not a licensee; <laughs> they're not a franchise. Not they just all. go out and they they merge with others. I mean, AVI used to be one company, SBL used to be another, and then they came together and they've they've gone about and purchased other ones. Yeah. Uh, in the Midwest here, we we have CTI uh, Conference Technologies, uh, who has begun to to acquire other uh, smaller uh, integration firms um, around uh, you know, Iowa and, and Illinois and, and others. Uh, they're based out of St. Louis, actually. Um, so this is this is interesting. Uh, can you talk about for a second, though, the difference between a licensee and a franchise? You said it's not a franchise; it's a licensee. Right. Yeah. What, they, they What's were the pretty, difference?
2: Yeah, they, they were pretty clear about that. That um, it it's it, they they don't necessarily have to do the same thing as as what the, the parent company do the the different the different areas don't necessarily have to do that I mean that obviously there's there's the headquarters and you know there's a lot of decisions that are made as a group between all the, uh, the between all the the, the licensees and and uh, the you know the, the parent company but they they it base like I said they they started they all started with with a loan the, the first the first uh, office started because there there was a, a friend of John who wanted to get in the business but had no money and he didn't know what to do he didn't know how to he didn't know how to get started and he had no money so he asked he John basically gave him a loan to to get started and and it, it kinda took off from there John told me that you know he he didn't know if it was gonna work when when he first did it he he didn't really plan for it to to go this way he you know he started his own company in, in arizona and you know didn't didn't really know where, where it was going to go but uh it's 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 taken off and and they're they're looking to expand he talked about a couple areas where where it didn't didn't really work out but that was that was a case of hiring the wrong person to or or partnering with the wrong person to uh you know to to operate that that region and you know they, they've kind of learned along the way it's it's pretty tough to to become a, a licensee through through their uh, their company too
1: well, I'm sure, especially now, you know that they they you know got different standards in place and things of that nature. So, good article and, and good for CCS. Uh, all right, moving on. Um, the uh, buddy of ours, Craig uh, Craig McCormick. Good lord, that's Craig McCormick. Uh, Chris Neto uh, is a member of the um, uh, Red Band uh, Blogging Group. He also does a, a podcast here on, on Aviation. Uh, wrote an article for Commercial Integrator talking about improving the InfoCom show experience. Uh, so we're going to go around the horn, and not just about Infocom in general, but also just trade shows in, in, in specifically. Um, uh, we talked with, with Dave, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, where uh, ISC is coming up here the first week of February. He will be there. Actually, ISC is a partnership between CDIA and, and, um, and uh, Infocom. So, uh, Dave, from, from your standpoint, whether it's ISE or CD, the CDIA show or CES, which, which is here uh, in, in Vegas in about, about three or four weeks... What are some of the ways, uh, either from an organization like CEDIA, or maybe you as as just a, a regular Joe guy attending it? Uh, what are some of the ways that that we can maybe improve some of these shows?
3: You know, it's a it's a tough question because it's a it's a rapidly evolving industry because you have the dynamics of uh, just. It'll sound kind of cliche, but the the Internet, the Amazons, those kind of things, they put a lot of pressure on trade shows. So trade shows, in general, have to continually try to add new things um, and at the same time – so it's this adaptation versus innovation. What are the things that we want to keep and maybe do little tweaks, and what are the things that we want to add and um, – and, and bring them to brand new and it's interesting I, I I read the article and in the article they talk about well they need manufacturers to bring more and in innovative products to the show and that, uh, god, I mean that's, uh, we, we would all love that, we would love for uh, any of the manufacturers to come out and give us all their secrets and tell us what they're going to do. The last couple years, um, actually for three years I put on this future technology pavilion which was just trying to show products five years down the road and by the last one, I literally wound up in the hospital afterwards. <laughs> it was it was stressful. So <clears throat> so in general, it, you have to have an expectation from an attendee perspective. What is it that I am going to the trade show for? And so a lot of people say, oh, they want to see the new products. For me, um, a lot of the trade shows that I attend, or CEDIA or Infocom, because I go to them all. The, the big two things are the networking going out and actually meeting new manufacturers networking with your peers and the, the training and education that you get so my job at Cedia at half of my job is making sure overseeing the education certification side of things and trying to make sure that we keep up stale fresh new and um, I, I, will, I will say that both Cedia and Infocom I think we do a very good job of that but the dynamics are really difficult I mean people don't realize that you know, when you plan a show, we have to, as an example, plan, um, we are right now <laughs> planning the, most of the classes that we will teach at Expo in September next year right now knowing that the industry is going to change and, you know, six months from now there will be a next new big thing and so you have to have some flexibility. So there's lots of things that the show needs to do, but also I think attendees have to, to look at, what it is that they are going for, what they are looking to accomplish, and, um, and then maximizing their time. The one thing that we have noticed in our show is, um, you know, because the residential industry was hit hard, and so, yeah. you know, we saw a decline for a while, and we're finally seeing numbers go up. But what we have noticed is that people are coming for a shorter period of time. So um, I think the attendees, what they are trying to do is to go in, get the information they need, do the networking they need, and get out instead of going what was, you know, going for a week and those kind of things. So it's it's, a, it's a, a revolutionary process. I don't think there's anything evolutionary that you'll see at trade shows over the next couple of years. But it is that one time a year that you get to go, you all gather together. There's as much camaraderie as there is anything else. And then the last thing I'll we'll say, and I'm, I'm putting a long answer in here, That's is... Funny not only going to the big companies, but going and finding the small gyms. What are these small companies that have very little funding that are on the bleeding edge that um, you look at and you say, you know what, that's a product that's not commoditized right now that I could use to make some money or offer a solution that my clients have been looking for. So um, we're not going to bring a circus, but we, you know, we continue to try to evolve and serve what our clients need and just know that it's a, it's a hard the, those shows are amazingly difficult to put on
1: yeah well actually you, you mentioned one of my favorite things to do at trade shows which is to go in the back 40 and find the people with the 10 by 10 boots oh, yeah. uh, actually I learned this from Don is <laughs> who I learned it from uh, and, and last year at infocom the guys from beam uh, who had the the little what do you guys call them? The uh, uh, Sheldon bots. But, Shellbots. But Shellbots. But it was <laughs> it was a it was a a, a fully autonomous uh, robot with a with a video screen and and someone remotely could could basically tie into it through the internet uh, and mm-hmm. control it and walk around and and the gentleman that that uh, that started it had the vision of not ten or twenty or a hundred of these but several thousand of these so people could virtually. Attend other trade shows. The <laughs> guy was the, the guy is genius. I mean, the guy is is like way, way over my my intelligence. Uh, but that was one of those little ten by ten boosts in the in the back forty yeah. that you know you, you you unless you purposely go around the the big the big boosts and the in the bright lights, you're gonna miss. So.
3: Well, I, I'll I'll butt in for just yeah. a second because you're an educator. I I I was a public school teacher. My degrees in education. You know as well as I do that hearing and seeing things are one thing, but experiencing it is another. And so you, you there's just uh, going there and being present and talking to people. It's a completely different experience than hearing about it or seeing it on the web. It's just it's not the same.
1: Yeah. All right, Miss Dawn, where uh, where are some of the things that we can we can do to improve not just Infocom but CEDIA, ise CES?
0: Well, I mean, Chris had some great ideas. I'd love to see some of the ones from the article implemented. You know, some of the you know the plug plug fest where you yes. can just actually see mm-hmm. things hooked up, similar to the old projector shootouts and just sort of test claims live and 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 that sort of thing. That's great. People love that stuff. Again, like. Um, Like you just said, that's experiential as opposed to just being told that this thing works. Seeing that it works and making it work is an entirely different experience. Um, My biggest thing that I wish was in the article and that I wish that they would do, and I keep telling them to do, is going to get me slaughtered by every person I know that works for a manufacturer and goes and attends and works at these things, and probably from the guys that put them on. But I would love to see an extra day or so added to... Infocom
1: man sister <laughs> hear
0: me out hear me out i know Amen, people are sister. going i know people tend to be going shorter times to these shows but in the case of infocom specifically the show floor has gotten so large that in order to just see everything on the show floor without taking any classes without doing any networking without even taking lunch half the time mm-hmm. it takes every single day that show is open you know, and they've added the education Super Tuesday and the weekend before where you can take classes, but those are all multi-day classes, big seminar classes, CTS prep plus test type classes. If they took all the little one-hour and two-hour classes that are held during the show week and move them back to those days when people aren't necessarily going to the show, they may go so they can get their education on and then get to see the show floor. Yeah. Or, you know, offer the classes more than once or extend the actual show floor days so that you can still scheduling classes and running around, you know, seeing appointments and things. I, I mean, this, this past year at Infocom was crazy. It's the first year I taught a class at Infocom. I always try to take classes at Infocom because for a small integrator, you don't always have money to send people to every single class and every single workshop around the country. But if it's all at Infocom, you just pay for one trip and you get all this education. So you take a class, you teach a class, you record a podcast, you know, you, you meet up with some friends for lunch or, or, or do the networking face-to-face stuff that's so important about these shows. I skipped an entire hall last year at Infocom. <laughs> I have no idea what happened in that last hall. I hope I don't need it for my job because I never got there. So you know, as much as it's like by the end of the days that we're there, we're exhausted, I think either some creative scheduling of the classes – or adding an extra day or two, would just be great for all the little guys that, that take care of all their education and their networking and they're finding new products at the show.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and, and Dave was one of the ones groaning about that. <laughs> uh, now, you're, I know, well, and here's my groan,
3: I'm sorry. That's I'll all just right. say that the, the, you have two entities. You have the manufacturers and you have the attendees. And the manufacturers are always saying we don't see value on the last day because no one attends, which, to be honest with you, I've been to many shows, and the last day is always weak. And you have the, the, um, the attendees who say I don't have enough time. And if you we look at our surveys, and so, yeah, I mean, we get a ton. Uh, this year, if you include manufacturers product training in our training, we probably put 16,000 people through training, or 16,000 butts and seats in four days. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. But um, at the same time, And the other people who don't go to class to say, well, they just don't have the time. And uh, so it – oh, my gosh. Don you're right on. You're accurate. It's just uh, – oh, it's uh, just – you get into these meetings with these manufacturers, and half of them want it, half of them don't. And at the end of the day, it's – we've had three-day shows. We've had four-day shows. I hope we stay at three-day shows. I'm just saying
1: (laughs) – well, let's talk about that because you've got I- ISE coming up uh, February fourth, fifth, and sixth uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, it is last year it was the the most attended show uh, of of CDA, infocom and, and ISE that ISE was larger. It is absolutely huge, I mean ginormous uh, the the amount of square footage that that you would have to cover, uh, just you know just going from day to day. Uh, so I, I see value in a fourth day. I also hear what you guys are saying. I mean, not only would it increase increase the cost for, from the people putting on the show. You know, CDN Infocom would have to pay more money uh, for the halls that they're renting, and they would have to pay more money for the, the employees that are being there and, and this, that, and the other. The manufacturers would have to be there an extra day and, and traveling and this, that and that, that, and the other. But wow, it would be uh, it would be helpful. How about that?
3: Well so. well, what I'll say about that just because I mean I on this, I'm an insider. Um, it's not the cost of the association at all because the hall rentals, you usually have them for two weeks. so this oh, okay. is it's really specifically the desires of the manufacturers and they are the ones who are really funding the overall bill for the show and, and it gets very expensive for them to have staff out there. So at the end of the day, ultimately, if there's a need for a fourth day and um, and there is proof that it is will be supported and that uh, it is economically feasible for the manufacturers, then they'll come back and say, you know what, I really need a fourth day. I agree with you with ISE. I mean, we basically filled the in, entire – there's not another place in Europe where we can hold a show right now. It's, yeah. it's maxed out. Um, So, I hear you. Um, There's just I hear you, and I understand you, but it's it is a tough dynamic. People, uh, people don't realize how hard it is to just come up with a. Is it a three day show or a four day show?
1: So, so what you're really saying is that if we really want one, we should start lobbying the manufacturers. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. There we go. There you go, Don. We have we have a mission now. So
3: I can't I can't speak for Infocom, but I bet well, you I they'd know. say the same thing. Yeah,
1: probably the same thing. All right, Mr. McCormick, you've got uh, what's uh, what because you you cover it from a different angle than than Don and I do, and obviously Dave Dave puts them on. Um, you're you're there as as the reporter and as the 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 uh, you know the the ink stained wretch. So what what what. Uh, <laughs> What could people do? Either CDS, you know, CES, um, you know, NAB. What can, how, what can we do to make these things better?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like having you know things like the the future technology pavilion that that sort of thing. But when when it comes to stopping by a manufacturer's booth, I always like to see the the products that that are actually coming out in a you know a, a couple of months or you know with, within the next year rather than something that you know is is a possibility to come out in, in five years you know that you know that the, they, they have one prototype and you know they, they don't let you touch it because it's it's not going to work the, the way that they have it that's that sort of thing I, it it's it's hard for me to, to write about something and you know I don't know the price I don't know you know the any specifics on it that that sort of thing it it, it just makes it makes it a little bit more difficult for you know for 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 my audience to you know to, to get any value out of, out of my booth visits which are you know, it, are are quick, quick, and you know they. You know, I, I spend you know 15, 20 minutes at, at a booth, you know, and and try to get as much information as I can. So, so talking about products that that may or may not come out in, in a couple of years, or you know, it's it's it doesn't doesn't give a lot of value to to my readership or or to me. You know, when when I have a, a limited amount of time to you know, cover these these massive massive halls (laughs) so so it's a a lot of walking around and and sort of as as a a, on a related note to that i would love to see more manufacturers have bottled water available for (laughs) for folks like me who stop by their booths i've i've made this pitch uh, a couple of times and and some some are definitely better than others. The the ones that, that offer me water and you know give me a place to sit for fifteen minutes, I always appreciate that. But uh, it it doesn't happen as as much as it could, I think. And and you know it's it's a, it's a small expense to, and it shows you know that, that you're thinking not only of, of selling selling products, but also making the people that stop by your booth happy.
3: Sitting and double padded carpet. Yes.
2: Yes. That, uh, there you
3: go. That they can do.
1: We'll take it. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was something that was a premium last year. We, we, uh, we produced Info, uh, Infocom Today, their podcast, and, and we had uh, a space that, w- that some of us could go to and, and kind of sit down and, and rest our weary feet. So it was, yeah. it was very nice. Of course, um, it
0: was a space 12 miles from the main floor. Wow.
1: <laughs> you know. <laughs> it was... I made a mistake the first show I went to.
2: I wore a brand-new pair of shoes, and Ooh. I've never made that mistake again. So. No. Oh, not, I don't,
0: I don't think any move. of you... So. I don't think any of you guys have ever done the show in heels, so I don't want to hear it. No. So, <laughs> Some of us have to look cute and get things done at the show.
1: I did it once in Vegas, but it was on. Yeah, you know, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Water and coffee. Coffee would be nice too, depending on you know your your perlick. You know what, what you like to do to you know get yourself going. So, you. um, uh, all right, this is comes to us uh, from AV Network. It's a blog by uh, Lindsay Adler. And I got it. I honestly, I grabbed it because I was having Dawn on, because this is something Dawn and I have talked about for years. And that is getting young people into the industry. And she, she writes, uh, the title of it is, I found the next gen of AV installers, and they're waiting for you to hire them. Uh, she uh, talks about a, a program called the, uh, the Red Hook Initiative. It's a community center focused on empowering underprivileged privileged young people to overcome systemic inequities via social change uh, it, it basically what it is it's it's a community outreach program that that gives young people the tools they need uh whether it's networking or av av tools or what have you uh so don i am going to kick this off with you how do we get programs like this hooked up with integrators um because here's the thing unless you read AV technology, or unless you read Commercial Integrator, unless you, you watch this show or listen to this podcast, I, I'm not quite sure how how Red Hook gets, you know, to NetAV or gets to, you know, AVISPL.
0: Well, I'm not sure how the, the Red Hook initiative is set up specifically. I would hope or think that they perhaps had a couple of in- people in the industry as part of their board that's getting them started. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I I weren't in the industry and just starting something like this, the first thing I would do is find the associations like Infocom and Cedia, find the um, integrators in the area where the initiative is and just reach out and say, hey, this is what we want to do. Is there an interest? I don't know about any other industry, but the AV industry, the answer should always be yes, 10,000 times yes. Uh, There is such, such a dramatic... Absence of even not even just trained people willing to come into this industry or trainable people to come into this industry, but outside of this industry, there's the lack of knowledge that we are an industry. What are we like a 95 billion dollar annual? I think there's a statistic from Infocom yeah. every year, and like half of our families, my mom still thinks I sell TVs, like a Best Buy or something. <laughs> no, I don't even do that at all. You yeah. know, it, it, it's outside of our industry, people don't know about us, and it's not just individual people it's organizationally you know being in DC we work for the federal government quite a lot up until the most recent master spec AV didn't even have its own division now we have the yes. communications division but before that you had to skim through every piece in line in the spec to try to see is there a screen is there a sound system is there whatever um, until recently you know the NAICS codes the NAICS codes and all the different <laughs> codes that the government uses for for classifying jobs there really isn't a straight fit for unified communications or AV technology or these things. They're similar, related, just like college degrees. They're similar, related, but nothing that is us specifically. So you just have to throw a bunch of codes on things and hope you get a job. That you know. So it, it's up to the groups like Red Hook to contact the industry who would be desperate to help them. And it's also up to each of us as integrators and people in the industry to reach out, to tell people. You know, I'm constantly talking to people in the, in the neighborhood, in the community, uh, you know, at high schools nearby, saying, have you ever considered a career in AV? Do you like technology? Because these folks over at Infocom and NSCA and possibly CD, I'm not sure, they have scholarships that they give away and nobody applies for because they don't know we're a r- real career. You know, look into this if, if you're technically inclined. Um, You you have to reach out and tell people that it's a for real career option, that you can have great opportunity. You know, uh, God bless him. My husband is, is the equivalent of a Ph.D. He's got exactly two semesters of community college, and he's making six figures as an engineer. There's no other industry probably in America today in 2013. You can still do that. Right. That's something, you know, my parents' generation could make big money with a high school diploma or a little yeah. bit of college. I mean, it's such a fantastic career, it's such a fantastic industry, and there's so much opportunity. For God's sakes, talk about it, tell people about it, you know, let people know we're here, and then there'll be programs like this that will succeed, and the more that succeed, the more there will be. And then I won't be desperate to hire a technician, which if anybody out there is in the Baltimore, D.C. area and looking for a job as an AV tech, <laughs> we're hiring. Contact me. But we can't find anybody. So, you know, you have to talk about it. You can't just be, oh, you're something with computers. You know, <laughs> let them know what AV is. And, and you know, on my own, on my own part, there's a, a part of the BRAC base realignment thing. Mm-hmm. They're doing a, a program coming up in February with the Small Business Administration. To reach out to businesses and find out what your pain points are with doing business with the government and in general, and I've got myself put on that committee so I can talk to the SBA and say, figure out your NICS codes, figure out that AV is a for real industry, yeah. and then you know we, we want to help, we want to do work with you, make it easy.
3: It's a it's a tough nut to crack. So um, NSCA, the Consumer Electronics Association, CEDIA, about six. it's maybe even seven years ago, formed ESPA, the Electronic Systems Professional Alliance. And it is a certification program uh, a, um, based off of the NCCER curriculum. And it, it's honestly, it's taken so long to crack that nut. But I think we're just starting to get to it. And it shows that there is a potential for a career. And basically, you go through ESPA. And then after ESPA, then you can say, well, I want to go into residential or I want to go into commercial. Um, the the um, the nice thing about it is is that locally, so we're headquartered in Indi- Indianapolis, and there's a Walker Career Center, which is one of the local uh, schools around here. Um, uh, Jeff Gardner, who uh, works in our department, has been going and teaching and uh, helping their program, and so what we've learned from it is is that. I I think the hard part is is at the federal level, which we've been trying to do. So you're talking about the SOC codes or the NAICS codes. Those kind of things has to be done. But then you also have to take initiative at the local level. So the Red Hook, there's one called MMI. I think that's the Madison Media Institute in Milwaukee. Or or Madison, sorry, of course, Madison. Um, uh, The Walker Career Center here in Indianapolis. Um, But what... That, this article is absolutely right, and for me, I used to be a, um, a teacher for at-risk youth in Baltimore City for five years, and um, oh my God, there's such a great career, and we just can't, you love playing with electronics, you love doing all these things, you think it's cool, get into our industry, and uh, it, it's kind of like beating your head on the wall a little bit, but there are incremental, um, there's incremental movement, um, but it's not fast enough to keep up with the demand that we will need for qualified technicians uh, when all of us retire, hopefully yes. in a couple of years. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> a
1: couple of decades, I think. <laughs> yeah. I looked at my 401k the other day and I said, OK, I'll be about 110 maybe. When <laughs> uh, Mr. McCormick, when it, how, do, how do integrators get a hold of these kids? You know, Not necessarily the Red Hook kids, but just in general, how do they how do they reach out?
2: Um, I I think Don and and Dave both mentioned you know going into schools and 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 talking about it and advocating for it. I, I think that's you know kind of the 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 critical step. And and some 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 companies don't don't find value in that necessarily because they have you know they have their employees. They have they have you know tons of projects that that they're working on right now. So they they're not thinking you know five ten whatever twenty years down the road about the the next generation of. Of employees, but they they certainly need to be doing that, and and you know it, by the time you know the, these kids are in college or you know be, beyond that, you know it's it's probably too late for them to you know be be thinking about a you know getting into the, this sort of a, a career. So you need to you need to get them when when they're young and you know kind of thinking about well, what am I going to do with my life? You know where where am I going to go after after high school or you know after college or whatever the, the case may be it's it's something you have to you have to you have to start early and it's uh, it, it's always great to, to to see something like this and to see it working and it, hopefully it's it's something that that spreads yeah
3: it it was uh, sorry a okay. second it was easy for our guys in the 80s and 90s to jump into this because they're the old two channel guys so they're out there selling two channel audio and there was just a natural migration over to the custom electronic side of it Now that the two-channel, the mom-and-pop shops are gone and those kind of things, I I do think that there is a gap, and, boy, there's got to be a solution out there. because. So we go out to these events, I go all over the country, and hear over and over again, the hardest thing they can find is somebody qualified to work for them. So we complain about the unemployment rate and those kind of things, but I think it starts with us needing to do a better job of educating those who – Want to enter this kind of industry, and maybe high school is not for him, but it doesn't mean that they're not smart. It's just they don't really care about geography or social science or whatever. So um, we have a problem, and I think the associations are starting to fix it, but it really has to happen at the local level first.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, just to mention, you mentioned Medicine uh, Media Institute, our buddy. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> dear Lord, I, my his name was out of my head for crying out loud. Um, he's on red band for college. yeah. Never mind. Uh, it'll come back to me in about three days. Um, <laughs> but he he recently graduated um, uh, from the Madison Media Institute and and just recently uh, started working uh, in the industry. So it's it there are uh, good schools out there. He actually is the first kid uh, that I've ever uh, known that has an AV degree. So yeah. it's it's kind of neat. So,
0: well, and the the other thing, real quick, I know we're trying to wrap oh, up, but um, you know. As an integrator, a small integrator especially, it's not even a matter of finding qualified individuals because there isn't always education available. More and more trade schools and, and, and specific technology schools are opening up, but 99% or more of us small integrators, we will train you. We will give you Infocom and NSCA and CDA classes. We will send you for ESPA and for CTS and for whatever it takes, you know. and we will make sure you get that education because if you just have to have the aptitude and the drive and the realization that, oh, it's a for-real career, I can make a living doing this, come see us. For God's sakes, we will train you, we will teach you, we will get you started. Um, and, and I can't remember the name of them. There's an integrator in the Midwest somewhere uh, that two, two years ago at the NSCA BLC received an award from NSCA because they instituted a um, program with uh, old-school apprentices, an apprenticeship program that their technicians would start out as apprentices and work their way up to to journeymen and, and masters in AV that would more than qualify them for CTS, CTSI, CTSD, and they would have great workers that then, you know, were able to train other great workers. And even something like that we can do on a local level. It, we're willing. Just find us the people and let people know we're for real. Yeah. So.
1: By the way, Josh Stackhouse is the name of the young man. I, I, there you I, go. Uh, well, the reason I, 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 for some reason, it made him in my head, he's the one who actually uh, 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 proposed to his, his well, his, his fiance now, uh, proposed to his fiance on on uh, A B Week. Good Lord, back in June. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, last but not least, and and I say last but not least, uh, Cedia has a new website. Yay! We do. It actually uh,
3: will be launching on Monday.
1: Oh, well, that's not it then. Okay, never mind.
3: Well, it's <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it's up. It's up. But we we've said that it'll launch on Monday just because. Okay. we want to do some. Fun. I got gotcha.
1: you. <laughs> i was going to say
3: yes we worked on it for two years it's not just really well it's because it's the database behind it so okay. our data oh god it's been a bear of a project but this is a a sweet sweet day i get to go to to test the website right after we're done with this so well, okay nice. Make sure we're nice
1: good. all right uh, that will do it uh for, for us for this week uh craig mccormick he is the editor at large for commercial integrator their uh their latest episode is the uh integrator of the year so check that out thank you sir
2: thank you for having me as always
1: and where can people find you
2: uh twitter uh, uh my name is craig mccormick and linkedin i'm there as well right,
1: very good uh dave pedigo i'm not gonna read your really long title again but uh he's from cedia uh okay. so thank you sir
2: thank
3: you appreciate the opportunity
1: if somebody wants to get a hold of you or gets to get a hold of cedia how do they do that
3: well, if you want to get a hold of CDIA, just CDIA dot uh, net. But um, I'm also you can find me on Twitter Dave Pettigo. Okay, pretty simple.
1: Very good. Uh, last but not least, the lovely AV Dawn. Don Mead uh, from Net AV and the host of our uh, our AV social show. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And where can people find you?
0: Well, if you are an AV technician in the Baltimore and DC area yes. looking for a job and would like to. <laughs> Talk to NetAV, we are hiring. You can come to the company website, NET AV.com is the company website, and you can get hold of me through that as well. I'm also on Twitter at AV Dawn. I'm on LinkedIn, Dawn Mead. And I'm on pretty much all the other social things at either AV Dawn or Dawn Mead. Look me up. And I do have a new AV Dawn blog redesign coming up speaking very of new websites cool. but it's not up yet so if you go there you'll see my last poor blog from like a year ago i'm so ashamed but the new one's coming and hopefully it'll be a new year launch for that
1: very so. cool yeah we're still uh, our web i shouldn't say our web team matt scott is our web team uh, and and he's working feverishly to uh, to adjust some things, we're, we're trying to get more visual, and, and you know, anyhow. So it's But
0: he, you know, Canadian, he runs on metric
1: time, do- so it takes him a little longer. Than- well, he does, except for he doesn't understand the metric system, which is kind of confusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Matt, the world's worst, worst Canadian, Canadian than ever. It. Yeah. <laughs> he likes cowboy football and no hockey. So. Anyhow. Oh,
3: that is painful. It, it is.
1: Right? It is. You know. So. Uh, but. It could be worse. He could be a Browns fan. So, all right. <laughs> enough. Or yeah, or Redskins. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I have a bunch of people, Dave, uh, in St. Louis who are uh, uh, Rams fans who are rooting for you guys to lose even more uh, because of the RG3. The first tra- <laughs> round pick. Yes.
3: are going to get it. Yeah. You will have the first round, <laughs> the first pick of the draft.
1: I'm sorry. I, I, I can Yeah. I'm sorry, brother. That's okay. Uh, my name is Tim Albright don't follow me follow Aviation and and everybody here. Uh, this is a group effort and, and I appreciate everybody that does everything. Uh, Don hosts AV social. George Tucker does a lot of stuff um, from live life. Uh, he, he uh, spearheaded DIY which is now hosted by Tim Gray. We have an awful lot of people here that do an awful lot of things so go by the website if you would please and give them their e- your ears and your and your eyes. Aviation. TV avnation.tv thanks so much for listening this has been AV Week